Danny and thanks for tuning in to The Grown Up Hustle. This podcast is based on real people sharing all their different journeys as they navigate this crazy ride called adulting. From coffee o'clock to wine o'clock and all that happens in between, we're here to openly discuss how we're all just really hustling our way through life. So if you're ready for the highs, the lows and a whole lot of real talk, then stay tuned because we've got you covered. Hey guys, welcome back. So before we get started with this week's show, I just wanted to pop a trigger warning out there. Today's show might not be an easy listen for everyone, but it is covering a topic that as adults we unfortunately face and that is grief and loss. I've got blogger Carly Jai from the Instagram platform Honestly I'm Okay joining us today and Carly uses her platform to raise awareness on suicide, grief management and loss, mental health and helping remove the stigma around the subjects. Her platform is a really happy safe space and it does help make people know that they're not alone and it does bring smiles. We had a few chuckles about how to describe Carly's platform when recording this intro um, and I think once you click on her platform it pretty much summarises everything that it is and you will find yourself clicking on all the different posts that most relate to you. Carly's going to be sharing with us today her story of the different types of loss and the effects that they've had on her and just how acknowledging grief and also not being scared as a mother to ask for professional help when you need it is the best route forward. We were both hoping that by recording today's episode, it might help either people out there struggling to ask for help or those that have been affected by all the different types of loss, including suicide, but also for anyone that's listening who's had dark thoughts, just to hear the tales of the heartache of the loved ones that they leave behind. There are some tears on today's show, but there's also laughs too. And in Carly's own words, she really wanted me to stress in the intro that this isn't just a trauma dump. It has got a happy ending. And Carly just shows how you can really, really start to regain faith and positivity no matter what life throws your way. So on that note, let's welcome Carly to the show. Hey Carly, welcome to the show today. Hello. So today we're going to be talking about loss and grief and how to manage it. And obviously, Carly, you've set up a platform uh, on Instagram called Honestly, I'm Okay. And on there, you've created awareness for loss and grief and the processes that you sort of go through, you know, with these things, but but also a nice community for, for laughs and a safe space. So yeah. do you want to tell us a little bit about your journey and your story and kind of what made you set up this platform? Well, to be honest, at the beginning, I was kind of like, oh, I've been through quite a lot. I think that a lot of people have probably been through some of the things that I have as well. How can I connect with those people? How can we talk? How can we destigmatize? How can we have a laugh along the way? So it was kind of like summer 2019, I think. And by this time, I had lost a lot of family members, some friends as well. My relationship with my son's dad had broken down. I just felt like I'd kind of had nothing. So I thought, right, let's let's just go on the gram and see, see what's going on here. Um, see if I can connect with people, have a little chat, get some things off my chest, you know, and just see how it goes. So do you want to go back to the start of your, your journey and yeah. sort of? when when everything sort of began for you because obviously I I know that the past five years have been yeah quite turbulent for you but maybe if you mm. want to talk through your story from the yeah. with, with listeners so they know a bit more about you yeah let's go let's do it so um it kind of started in I would say 2015 my nan my lovely little grandma um she was a bit unwell um she ended up going into hospital and she was in hospital such a long time and she was having problems with her kidneys she had Alzheimer's she was just very poorly and you know she passed away after I would say probably like three or four weeks in hospital and it was a really sort of tough time for my family because she was like you know everyone's nan is like the best she's the person who kind of holds the family together she's old school like you go to her house and she's like, right, you know, the dinner's on. Like, I hope you're staying kind of thing. 
um, and you know you go to hell with your problems and you're like oh this is happening she's like, oh I don't know why you're even worried about that like just <laughs> don't even don't even think about it that's nothing just leave it she was very like you know I'm in control of life and I'm I'm happy and I'm always going to be happy that's my choice and you know like losing her was was really tough for um, a lot of us in the family because the void was just so massive after she passed away and then sort of while we was getting to grips with with that and you know we're going on now to 2016 and my auntie passed away as well and um, she passed away and that was really sad as well because she was my youngest auntie and also my dad's youngest sister and he was my dad was just absolutely distraught when she passed away because my my dad was kind of like that guy who's like I'm not going to show no emotion and I'm like a really strong man and I don't cry and I don't get upset and I just get on with it but I remember him just being so upset when she passed away and he he was just like I can't believe it I cannot believe it that she's I've outlived my baby sister and he was really sad about that um and then yeah I would say like the following year so this is 2017 now yeah 2017 I was pregnant with my son um I was like oh my god like thank god finally something good is happening um my my son's gonna come and my life's gonna change and I'm so excited um I was with his dad at the time we was very excited getting things all sorted for baby to come and then we kind of we kind of had the final argument <laughs> that just pushed things over the edge and we was kind of like right do you know what we we actually can't be together and you were still um, pregnant at this time yeah I was four months pregnant at the time and you know it, it's a very strange time when you're very early pregnancy because you know some people around me kind of said to me you know what what are you going to do you know it, it's not too late if you want to have an abortion or whatever and I was like oh my god like I can't do that I can't do that I've I've been to the hospital I've had my scans yeah. I've heard the heartbeat you know like I've I'm bonding already I can't I can't do that and I was so looking forward to my son as well and I was like that nah, I can't I can't take away my own happiness at this moment in time no no and I, I can't get do that. it it's a brave decision to make going at it as a single parent a million yeah and you know you've got the strength to do it we all have well that's the thing I was like I don't know can I do this on my own I don't know what I'm doing I have no idea what to expect what the hell am I doing does any parent really know what they're doing I think they're all just winging it (laughs) winging it that is it absolutely just winging it from the start and you wing it every day after that's fact you do and you know I was so excited my family were excited my friends were excited my work colleagues all knew um that I was pregnant I was quite big early on so yeah I mean later on in the year my son came he's a summer baby was born in July Um, he's absolutely gorgeous oh he is just oh he's incredibly incredibly good looking that boy (laughs) he is do you know what he is so beautiful and he is like you know everyone says it about their kids you know my my kids are like my my savior they're like my complete life yeah and for me he has saved me on more occasions than he will ever know because even just like having him was like right you know this is this is me on my own I'm going for it um I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what to expect but he's there so I know you know whatever happens is going to be for him I have a purpose now so I had him and you know it's it wasn't easy I can't lie it's still not easy to this day doing every single thing on your own so like you know getting up in the night doing all the night feeds surviving on a couple of hours sleep every day oh my god it was so hard it it was hard and even now he still doesn't sleep so I'm just a bit like Yay. <laughs> Come on, bro. Like, seriously, we're, we're nearly four years old now. Like, are we going to sort this out anytime soon? Um, so, yeah, like, I had him 2017 and it was great. And, you know, I thought, finally, like, some smooth sailing. This is good. And then, yeah, so following year, um, all was fine. You know, my my brother, he was four years older than me. Uh, we were really close, like, best friends, really. And just, 
like you know always mucking around just being silly and you know he he started like going through some things like he was having he was in a relationship with somebody and it was kind of going a bit wrong he wasn't really his usual like kind of happy self and I I was like a lot of the family and his friends were speaking to him about it like a bit concerned saying like you know are you okay how long had you been with his partner um about I think about two years they were together in total and you know he seemed like really happy so we was happy for him you know as you do yeah it started coming towards the end of the year they'd split up and he was really struggling with the with the breakup and stuff and you know he called me on a few occasions and he was like you know I just don't know what I'm going to do I just feel like I'm gonna be on my own like forever I don't really feel like I'm gonna find anybody who actually really loves me and I was like wow like bro come on like have you seen yourself like you are the most handsome man so good looking you're so full of fun absolutely hilarious all the time you know everybody has their thoughts not everybody's perfect but you know stop giving yourself such a hard time like you're a cool guy man like you you really don't need to do this to yourself how old was your brother at this point my brother was 32 so young okay yeah and also sorry I missed out a part completely in um in 2016 as well his um the mother of his child passed away um she she had cancer and you know she was battling for a few years and then she she passed away in 2016 and you know I kind of saw the effect of that on my niece as well she was only nine at the time when her mum passed away and she came to live with my mum okay and my brother and my dad and I was popping like I was there in 2016 but obviously when I moved out in 2017 I was like back and forth all the time and I still am to this day I'm still back and forth and you know my my brother kind of took that really bad because although they weren't together when she passed away he was still like oh my god like this is just horrific this is not what I expected it to to be like I really thought she was going to get better I I didn't think that I would be standing here like saying oh my god like she's died and she's left three kids behind um, she had two children from a previous relationship. They're big and grown up girls now. But yeah, like he really took that hard. And I think that he carried maybe some guilt from her passing because he he felt like he didn't do enough. He felt like he wasn't there enough and didn't, you know, he, he couldn't make her better. I think that that was part of it as well. So yeah, sorry, skipping back now. <laughs> back to 2018. So his relationship broken down. He was in like a bit of a tough place. And, you know, me and my mum and like, we're just like, right, you know, everything's going to be okay. Like, we're going to sort this out and whatever you kind of need, like, we're here for you. Like, we're making dinner for him. Like, we're just making sure that he's he's okay. And he's getting up every day. He's going to work. Everything as usual, going out and meeting his pals, going, driving his car, like fast cars and all of this that he loved to do. And then he had moved out of my mum and he went to live in the middle of Essex, in the middle of nowhere. When I say in the middle of nowhere, it was like, you know, like them little Emmerdale villages. Like, you know, them places that you think, wow, like I swear there's like the population of this village is like 10. There's (laughs) nobody here. Like all there is is a pub and a post office. I'm like, what? What is this? I'm used to like the 24 hour shops. Yeah. And like takeaways everywhere. Do you think that he was at that point trying to remove himself from people and disconnect I I think so but at the same time I kind of think that he was by moving there he was kind of hoping to sort out his relationship because he wasn't very far from where his girlfriend or whatever was living at the time and I think he thought yeah right if I move closer it will give us a chance to see more of each other. We can work on it and, you know. Did his daughter stay with your mum? No, she went with him. Okay. And we had the most awkward childcare situation ever for my brother because at the time he was working night. He was an electrician and he was working in London. So he was having to take money straight from school, drop her at my mum, hang about a bit until work time, go to work finishing at two three o'clock in the morning coming back to my mum's lifting my niece out of bed into the car to drive her all the way back home 
let her get a few more hours sleep and then he was waking her up for school again so it was a very awkward childcare situation and I didn't envy him at the time I, I was like listen you can't carry on doing this because this is exhausting even to watch you back and forth is exhausting yeah it's very honorable that he he wanted to be able to take care of his daughter full time but that's very difficult given his job without that additional support of her mum sadly yeah and I think that he really he really felt it as well because he he wanted to be there all the time but you know work calls and you have to you have to make money you know like you can't have kids with no money it's just one of them things so yeah I mean it came to a weekend in November he said to um my niece's other grandparents on the mum's side you know do you want to have her for the weekend you know spend some time with her they was like yeah absolutely great so she went to stay over how old was his daughter at this stage she was 11 okay yeah 11 and you know she's really close with her other side of the family as well and she loves like going over there and stay with them seeing her sisters all her cousins her nana granddad she has a great time over there um and you know it was the first time that my brother was alone in his flat in his new place you know he, he wasn't alone he was with her the whole time and none of us had been to see his new place yet he had only been in there three weeks we was like let's get him settled before we start bombarding him with all the visits and stuff and um yeah it came to the Sunday he was supposed to be going to pick her up from her nan and granddad and he didn't show up um, he the arrangement was he was supposed to pick her up at six. Um, it was now eight o'clock and my niece called me from her nan and granddad's and said, oh, have you spoken to my dad? Because he hasn't come to collect me. And that never happens, you know, like he always he's always here. And if he's not, he calls me, you know, and tells me I'm stuck in traffic. You know, he will send her a picture of the of the traffic. And say, you know, I am coming. I'm just stuck in traffic. And he didn't do that. And for me, it rang the alarm bell straight away because I was like, wow, that's so unlike him. He he wouldn't let her worry about him. So what the hell is going on? And I was with my mum and dad at the time. And my son was sleeping and I was just sort of sitting there and I was like, right, I, I need to do something. I don't know what to do. I'm calling him. He's not answering. I'm leaving answer phone messages. I'm thinking, wow, like, I, I don't even know exactly where my brother lives, but I'm going to find a way to get there and see what's going on. I mean, I don't even drive. I'm 31 nearly and I don't drive. I'm poor. I've never had that kind of money. So I'm just like, right, what am I going to do? So I called my best friend straight away and I said, so, you know, I'm a bit worried about my brother. He's not answering the phone. He hasn't picked Brooke up. Right. And she goes, right, I'm coming. I'll be there in two minutes and we'll drive there. No problem. We'll do it. Like, literally, thank God for her. Thank God for her. I say, I say it all the time. She's like, literally, she was just the best girl ever. Friends of the family you choose. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. She's just great. And, um, yeah, I mean, we jumped in the car. Bearing in mind it was November, it was absolutely freezing and pitch black. We was going down all these country roads. We was thinking, oh, my God are we even going to make it there? Like, do we even know where we're going? I had to like ask my niece, what's your postcode? Like, do you know it? Or what's near your house? Tell me what's near your house. And she was like, oh, there's a school and and this and that. And I was like, right, do you know what? I'm just going to find it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I will. And I did. And we got there just over an hour later, I would say, because it was quite a journey from me. And, you know, you, you get out the car and it was just like insane because I was like right I can see my brother's cars here so he hasn't gone anywhere there's my brother's cigarette butts on the floor where he's come out to smoke he's here like I know he's here and I was he lived in like a block of flats like a small block of flats that was inside a converted like vicarage it was like really really nice actually and I'm buzzing his buzzer and nothing's happening. The door's not opening. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I need to get in here. And I managed to get into the entry door. And then I was like, right, there's the front door. 
I'm going in, I'm banging and I'm going, you know, bruv, what are you doing? Like, come and answer the door. Like, are you sleeping? Like, what's going on here? At this stage, did you did you think something's amiss? hundred percent. I, I knew before I left home. Okay. I knew before I left home because I just had that feeling in my heart, you know, like when something's just not right. And I'm banging and I'm the thing that was that creeped me out to this day, like, you know, I, I really think this episode's going to need a trigger warning. So I'm really sorry if I like trigger anyone. But, you know, the thing that really creeped me out was that there was just no noise. There was just no noise. Like I couldn't hear TV static. I couldn't hear footsteps. I couldn't hear snoring. I couldn't hear anything. It was just so quiet. And, you know, like I was knocking, knocking, nothing was happening. And I thought, right. The only thing I can do now is just have a look through this letterbox and see if I can see him in there. And I looked through the letterbox and, and there he was. He was dead without being too graphic, because obviously, again, I don't want to trigger people. It was just obvious to me that he was not alive. Okay. And, you know, I tried to kick the door down. I was like, I need to get in. I need to get in. And my best friend was like, right, I'm calling the police. I'm, I'm calling the ambulance. You know, I'm, I'm on this. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get in there. Like, we'll sort it out. And I rang my mum and I was like, mum, like, something terrible has happened. Like, you know, and she was like, oh, my God, like, what, what shall I do? Like, I knew that I should have gone. I knew that I should have gone. I said, no, like, it's fine. I'm here. I'm sorting it. Um, and I ran up the stairs and I just banged on every door and I was like I need some help I need some help somebody needs to help me and this man do you know what if this ever reaches this man I have to say thank you so much because I don't know what I would have done without this man and sometimes it is like the kindness of strangers you don't you don't realize sometimes how how people are so helpful in times of panic and I was banging on this guy's door and he come out, he's gone, oh my God, what's happened? Poor guy, I've dragged him out of his front room. He's got his bloody Avengers dressing gown on and like slip, Hulk slippers and all of this. I was like, oh, bless him, like poor guy, I've dragged him up. He's gone, what's happened? What's happened? I said, oh, I need to get in my brother's flat. Something's happened. Can you help me get in? And he said, yeah, like I'm, I'm coming down, I'm coming down. And he come down and he kicked the door open for me. And he was like, right, he goes, listen, I know someone who lives around the corner who knows first aid, I'm going to go there now. This guy ran down the street in his pyjamas to go and find someone to help me while we was waiting for the ambulance and everything to come. And, you know, there was there was a big, like, there, there was just a big fog all of a sudden. I was like, I actually don't know what, what to do at this moment in time. I felt sick. I was like, oh, my God, I actually don't know if I'm going to still be standing by the time the ambulance comes, because I just don't know what what to do at this moment in time. Anyway, they came, the police came and everything. And, you know, they said, look, it's best if you kind of wait outside because we're going to go in and just see if there's anything we can do. If you don't mind me asking and you don't have to answer it, how did your brother take his life? Um, he hung him. He hung himself. And like, I think that's. That really hurt me as well. Would you rather cut that part out, by the way? Or no, no, like no, you can leave it in. It's fine. I just I feel like it it really just made it worse because I thought, wow, that that's so painful. You don't think it was a call for help or a cry no. for help that went wrong, yeah. No, I I don't. I, I do actually think that it was intentional. I mean, my mum, my mum to this day says, I think it was an accident. I don't think he meant to go that far. And, you know, I was like, mum, I honestly don't know. Mm. And, you know, the emergency services and stuff were so great. Like they went straight in and, you know, they tried to like bring him back and everything. And it was just too late. And uh, sorry, <laughs> um, you know, the one of the paramedics came out to me and the police officer. And the, <laughs> the police officer took his hat off. <laughs> And it was only when he took his hat off that I was like, okay, like something's happened, you know? And they said to me, look, I'm so sorry, but we've tried everything and there's nothing that we can do. So I was like, right, okay, like, that's that's okay. Like, you've done what, everything you could do. Like, I can't say anything else. And, um, you know, they said to me, please don't feel bad because, he'd been there for a while um even if you had come an hour ago 
or longer, it wouldn't have made any difference. Like he'd been there for a while. So I was like, right, okay. Had anyone um, heard from your brother over that that weekend? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that makes it so weird as well, because I think I've spoken to a lot of people who have lost friends, family members, you know, in the same way. And they've all said the same things to me, like, you know, everything was normal with them. They were still talking to everybody, like they hadn't just dropped off the radar. They start to do things or say things or behave in ways that they would never do any other time. And you notice these slight differences, but you just put it down to, ah, oh, you know, like they might just be having one of them days today. They'll be all right tomorrow. And you kind of just like go along like that. And then one day when something crazy happens, you're just like, oh my God, I wish I had said, or I wish I had done. Um, it always just seems to be the guilt that you carry afterwards. And I think that it was, it was such a shock to a lot of people. My brother was so popular. He had so many friends, you know, like so many people that knew him and was just like yeah this guy is just so cool like he's just so funny all the time and you know he's always up for a laugh always up up for a night out kind of thing you know and it was such a shock for a lot of his friends especially and you know I still keep in contact with a lot of his friends now and they still say to me to this day you know what I cannot I still can't get my head around it that this has happened I still can't believe that he's not here and I'm like do you know what me too me too I I can't believe it either because I was like okay that night I knew that there was something wrong in my heart of hearts I think I knew what I was going to walk into I think I knew really if I'm seriously honest about it I think I I knew what I was going to walk into but it still hasn't made it any easier for me to 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 be like oh you know okay I can accept it now yeah it's the acceptance that's really hard did he leave a letter or anything no nothing and do you know what in a way I think it made it it made it worse because we was like we just couldn't understand we, yeah. we just couldn't understand why this had happened um like he would you leave know. his daughter behind as well when she has yeah. a mother and he could not have yeah. been sound of mind exactly and we was like wow I, I don't know how I'm going to tell my niece now I don't know how I'm going to tell her and I said to my mum I called my mum afterwards and I said to her mum listen I, I can't tell her I can't tell her how what am I supposed to say to a little girl who's now lost both of her parents like I can't I can't be that person to break the news to her I've had to break it to you I can't break it to her as well and she said all right don't worry she goes I will speak to her me and her other nan will explain to her what's happened and you know we'll see and she called me, bless her, she, she called me while I was still on the scene. I was in the back of a police car and she called me and she, she was just like, what happened? What, what happened to my dad? Like, I, I want to know what happened to my dad. And I said to her, listen, I will explain to you when I see you, I'll explain to you. But for now, I can't tell you because it's just too hard. I just, I just don't know what to say to you. But I am sorry. Like, and I said to her, I'm so sorry that like, I just, I couldn't get there in time and you know I wish I wish that I'd been quicker and I'm, I'm just sorry and she was like oh my god like don't say that like it's not your fault and you know it was just really really horrible um at the time and my dad was furious he was so angry he was so angry like I can't even explain how angry my dad was he was absolutely furious my dad was furious he was so angry he was I cannot believe he's done this I can't believe he was so selfish to leave her behind and now what's going to happen to her and you know she's she's going to just grow up and be so angry with the world because of what's happened and and so on and so forth and you know me and my mum we're kind of like natural nurturers really like and I, I said to my dad you know don't even worry about the future worry about tomorrow don't don't think about too far ahead she she will be okay kids are very resilient and you know I'm not saying like oh she she just got over it I'm I'm not saying that but she has dealt with it and is still dealing with it so well I mean to see her and the way that she is and 
she's just she's 13 now like she's a proper teenager she's on TikTok constantly like doing dances and she plays Fortnite with her friends and her cousins and stuff and you know she is a normal teenager and don't get me wrong like she has her days where she's like oh do you know what I just can't I'm really upset about my dad today or I'm really upset about my mum today but she's very vocal it's so good and you know we we have our little moments together where we all cry about it and say oh bloody hell like we've been through hell like all of us but I think yeah like that was that was the end of that moment anyway and then (laughs) 2019 came along and this this is just rude like this this one is just the final kick in the teeth I think after this I've just I don't know I honestly don't know what life even is anymore after this but my mum and dad booked a holiday in January to go away just to you know recoup after everything that had happened you know like and I said to their mum and dad just go go and enjoy yourself leave money with me so your niece was living with your parents now then yeah yeah or like if she wants to go to her other nan and granddad's and she could do that whatever she wants to do just go on holiday just do it you have to so they went away and it was like, like my dad's birthday and stuff as well in January so they they went away and had their week or two away and they come back and my dad said oh like got a bit of a stomach ache I was like really like my dad was never ill he was never ever ill and for him to even say anything in the first place made me think oh like he must be quite uncomfortable if he's actually saying something but it had only shown up whilst he was on holiday yeah like as soon as he came back and I said oh you know what it is dad it's probably the cabin pressure you know when you fly sometimes you you get a bit of a stomach ache cabin pressure's a bitch I've had it before and I was like it's probably that like give it a couple of days you'll be all right yeah yeah week or so later he's like nah do you know what I've still got that stomach ache it's getting a bit worse now like I, I don't know what to do I said to him right dad do you know what right I'm gonna I'm gonna laugh I have to laugh I was like you probably just need to have a really big poo I said what you need to do go and get a glass of water put a couple of spoons of apple cider vinegar in it and you're off mate just get on with it oh yeah do you know what it, that might be it like I'll give it a go anyway gave it a go said nah do you know what I've still got this stomachache and I said to him right dad at this point you need to go and see a doctor because this just isn't normal for you oh yeah I'll go on my day off like he was always working like he worked in the airport my dad as well so he he loved his job and he was like oh yeah I'll go on my day off like whatever and he did he went and they said right we're gonna book you in for some scans but by the sounds of things it sounds like you've got a gallstone or something and I was like Oh, result it's just a gallstone it's fine like you can easily sort out a gallstone the pain is real because I, I had a kidney stone and boy I'm telling you birth like labor is nothing compared to them bad boys like it is painful and you know I'd been through everything with my kidney stones and I, I was kind of saying to him, right it's probably the same like you know you, you'll be fine so he's waiting for the scan date to come through it's not coming and we was like oh my god he's getting worse he's saying I can't lay down I can't sit for any period of time I can't eat you know even like when I drink I just feel so bloated all the time I just feel like there's something wrong with me so I said to him dad you need to go A&E just just walk into A&E and say look I'm ill can you sort me out I need a scan now so he went into hospital and they they kind of said to him right we're not really sure what's going on. We're going to keep you in while we do the tests and stuff. And, you know, there was no corona back then. So we was back and forth to the hospital all the time. And it was really hard for me as well because I, I couldn't always take my son into the hospital with me because there's infections and stuff on the wards. Like, he was only two by this point. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, how am I going to make this work? And um, he was in hospital for a couple of weeks, I think, while they did the tests and stuff. And at first they were like, oh, it looks like you may have cirrhosis of the liver. My dad was a big drinker. You might have cirrhosis of the liver. Um, You know, we've seen some other things in your body, like you've got asbestos damage to your lungs. Like my dad was a tradesman originally. So where he was like working on building sites in the 70s and 80s, they, they were breathing in all sorts back then. You know, you've got a slip disc in your back. Like, my, my dad's just walking around like everything's fine. He's like, yeah, ain't nothing wrong with me, mate. I'm all right. And then, yeah, eventually, the, 
this killed it as well for me. It was the day before my birthday and we got a phone call from my dad at hospital and he said, well, I've had my results back and I've got cancer. And we were like, what the actual fuck is going on here? Did you have cancer of? Uh, the pancreas, yeah, pancreatic cancer. And, you know, he was like, originally they said to him, oh, it looks like it may have started in the liver, but it spread to like your gallbladder, no, your spleen, I think it was, and like parts of the stomach. And, you know, it's, it's not looking good for you. I mean, we're going to try some chemo and stuff and see how it goes. Pancreatic cancer is, a silent killer anyway you often don't realize that you have it until you start getting symptoms and by the time you get symptoms it's normally too late so obviously I looked at my mom at this moment in time and I was like this can't this can't be happening again we can't lose someone else surely we can't and I was the first one to kind of break down and be like, my dad's going to die. Like, he's, he's going to die. Not, nothing else is going to happen. He's going to die. And my mom's like, stop panicking. He's not going to die. Everything's going to be fine. Like, we're going to sort it out. Even if we have to like, spend all our life savings to get it sorted, we'll get it sorted. So, you know, he came home for a week and he was so depressed. He was so depressed. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen my dad like this. My dad was really lively, like proper lively, loud, dancing all the time, singing all the time, just being silly, like dad jokes constantly. Like he was great, my dad. And, you know, I saw him and he was just a shadow of, of who he was. And I was like, dad, I don't even know what to say to you. I'm sitting next to you and I'm talking to you and I'm just getting, mm, mm, you know. And I was like, I can't believe that this is happening to my dad. And he was so ill at home and they they rang and said you know like we've been processing like some of his samples and stuff while he's been home and you know he's got really high levels of potassium in his body like he needs to come back to hospital and he went back in <clears throat> and he never came back out I mean it was really it was horrific actually because I think you find a lot of people who have lost people to cancer and stuff the deterioration is really really hard it's very traumatic to see my dad was really tall my dad was six two um nearly six three he was quite a built man and to see my dad so thin and you know just weak you know and I said to him dad like if there's anything you want me to bring like if you want any specific like food or drinks or anything, just tell me and I'll bring it. We've got to get you strong to the point where you can have the chemo. And he just couldn't have it. He just couldn't have it. He just was not well enough to have the chemo. And I kind of remember the last day I went to see him, I knew that he was going to die that day or that night or whatever. And I went in to see him and my mum was there. I was with my auntie as well, his other sister. And um, I'd left my son with my cousin. And it was the first time I'd ever really left my son with anybody else other than my mum. And I was a bit like, oh, I, I want to be quick. I don't want to, I don't want to take yeah. the piss, you know. And but my cousin was like, do you know what? It's your dad, man. Just chill. Like, do what you need to do. Take as long as you need. Like, don't worry about it. She was really good. Um and yeah, like I went in to see him and I, I sat kind of like on the floor in front of him and I was kind of like kneeling in front of him and I was talking to him and I said, Dad, you know, like, if, if this is it now, if you feel like you can't go on, it's okay. Like, it's okay. Don't, don't hang on and suffer. Oh my God, this is ridiculous. How many times am I going to cry? I think we're both going to just spend the whole time crying yeah. for this one. Oh no! I was like, you know, if you feel like you can't, just just let go. You don't have to stay and suffer, you know. Mm. And he put his head on my shoulder and he was kind of like just there. Like he wasn't saying anything. And, you know, I was kind of just like, right, he understands what I'm saying. Um, you know, and I said to him, right, Dad, I'm, I'm going to go because I need to get back to the little shit at home, you know. <laughs> And uh, that was the only time my dad said bye to me. The other time he said to me, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. 
oh yeah I'll see you later like you know stop fucking coming here like you're wasting your life coming here you know and uh he said bye and he waved at me and I was like oh like I feel like that's the last time I'm gonna see my dad alive and it was it was the last time and um you know when when my dad died like my dad's final streak of stubbornness prevailed because my mum had popped home like to get some bits for him my auntie stayed with him because she said you know there's been a lot of years where we haven't really been around each other we haven't spent as much time with each other as I would I would have liked and I would really like some alone time like with my brother so she stayed with him and my mum said right you know it's evening now I'm gonna go back and make sure your auntie's all right and make sure dad's all right she went back to the hospital and <laughs> the, hus- the hospital that he was in they have a different entrance at night time so my auntie said oh I'll come down and meet you and show you the way in because you're not going to find it on your own so my mom was like okay fine like I'll just stand here and have a fag while I'm waiting for you and my aunt came down to get her and then they went back up to see my dad and he had died so as soon as my auntie had left the room he was like, right, that's it, I'm off now because I didn't want anyone to see it. I didn't want anyone to be there. I didn't want anyone to be tra- traumatised by me dying in front of him. My granddad did the same. I literally, I lived in his, he was had his own hospital room because he had an infection and I literally was there like day and night. The family, like the whole family, because we've got a massive family that were there all day. And mm. I, I laughed and I went like to like where I went was like a few houses away from the hospital. Like it mm. was really, really close. And I literally just went to get a few hours sleep. And I no sooner had my head hit the pillow, I got a phone call saying, you need to come back. And as I walked on the ward, they said, he's just gone. And it was like, he didn't want anyone there. And I get that. Yeah. I think I would be the same. <laughs> I think I would as well. Um, my grandma did the same as well, actually, when, when she died. Um, you know there was four of us that got the phone call me my brother my dad my mom we all left at the same time to get there and you know we all ended up being five minutes or ten minutes too late so it's kind of like the last stubborn streak where it's like I'm not gonna let you see me die like that's it you know like and I kind of laugh about it now because I think yeah do you know what that would probably be me as well and for me it will probably be because I wouldn't want to traumatize anyone I wouldn't want people to be like, oh my God, I actually, she took her last breath and I was there. Like, I don't really want anyone to be like that because you carry that for life, man. Like, it's it's not even a joke. I'm, I carry images of my brother, my dad, even my auntie and my grandma. I still kind of carry those images and it's very hard to filter out of your brain these things that constantly traumatise you. So I think that, you know, after I lost my dad, I was kind of just like, I hated the world. I was so angry because I felt like everyone had been taken away from me. Um, Every time something started going a bit like decent for me, it was like the world just got ripped out from underneath me. You know, not only had everybody died, but my relationship had broken down. I was a single mum. I was, you know, not knowing what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing in life. And I felt really hard done by. Um, I was very angry. I was just like, you know, I can't cope with anybody's bullshit right now. I am just sick to death of everyone. I have had enough. And I I started to, you know, display behaviour that just wasn't really me. And I was like, you know, cutting myself off from people and you know, I was shutting myself inside and I was thinking I don't even want to go outside because I am cursed. Like, I am 100% cursed. If people start coming around me, more people are going to die. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I started feeling like I was cursed. And, um, you know, I was struggling with sleeping anyway. My son doesn't sleep as it is, so I wasn't sleeping either. I was having nightmares every night. I was having flashbacks in the day. There was just no escape for me. Um, stage after losing your brother had you been to any counseling or therapy or you would literally just no plowed through I didn't go because I at the time I was more focused on my niece and what was going to happen with her and 
when somebody dies there's a hell of a lot of paperwork man there is a hell of a lot of paperwork think contracts to cut off bank accounts to close a million things to do and I think my mum was struggling a bit with the circumstances of what happened to my brother whereas I was there and I saw what happened so I was kind of like right do you know what it's, it's happened I'm I'm in the zone just give me paperwork to do I will just do it so you basically use those things to distract yourself from the situation. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And now I look back, I think I definitely did that on purpose because I was looking for somewhere to go so that I didn't have to face the feelings that I had. I was just trying to, you know, move on very quickly. Um, so, yeah, like me and my dad kind of took over the paperwork and stuff with my brother I had to speak to like the coroner and stuff because there had to be inquest and all of that and they had to do a post-mortem which absolutely horrific um so I had to kind of deal with all of that and then when my dad died it was like me and my mum had to be the a-team then because we was like right we've got a million more papers to deal with now and it was only when I got to the end of the paperwork and we'd had the funeral and everything where I was like right I need to deal with these feelings now and I am scared of these feelings. How long after losing your dad had you just had this personality change and locked yourself away? How long did I it think, take you to acknowledge and go, I need, I need to get help. I need to speak to someone. It's only a couple of months and I was, I was just not enjoying anything. I was finding everything so difficult. I was absolutely exhausted all the time. Um, I had the most awful relationship with food I've always had a terrible relationship with food anyway but it was getting to the point where I was just absolutely ridiculous I would go and buy an entire cake and sit down and eat the whole cake or eat half the cake in the morning and then go oh you know fuck it in the evening sit down and eat the rest of the cake and just be like why are you doing this to yourself this is absolutely ridiculous it's comforting and you know yeah and it was like daily I was like just binging just eating constantly I weren't even hungry I was just eating just eating and eating and eating and I was like right do you know what this is not normal and I would feel guilty for eating what I'd eaten and then be like right I need to not eat now so I wouldn't eat for ages as well so I was just having this fluctuation of just terrible eating habits um you know, I was finding it hard to get up and just do normal things, like go take my kid to the park. I was like, why Why can't I take my kid to the park? I was coming to my front door and thinking, oh, I don't want to open my front door in case there's a dead body behind it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just didn't want to do, do them things. And I was just finding it so, so hard. And I thought, well, do you know what? I need to do something about this. I'd spoken to my mum and every time my brother would get mentioned or my dad would get mentioned I would cry it was it was just nothing there was no other emotion that would come out I would just cry I couldn't even have a normal conversation about it like you know oh there's some of your brother's clothes upstairs do you want to go through them and see if I was like no and I'll just cry like straight away nothing had even happened and I'll just cry so I thought right now is the time I really need some help I'm really embarrassed to ask for this help I don't want anybody to think I can't look after my child. I don't want anyone to think I'm a bad mum because, you know, I don't want to walk into the GPs and be like, right, I'm really worried about my mental health. So you were worried that they might take your son away from you. Yeah. A lot of mums have that with postnatal depression and they don't want to admit it because they're terrified that they'll lose their child, which is... Yeah, and... I just want to say this now because I'm sure that there will be people who listen who have had those thoughts where it's like, right, I'm not asking for help because they're going to think I'm a bad parent. It is completely the opposite. If they can see you reaching out for help when you need it, that works in your favour. That's a positive thing because they're saying, look how brilliant this parent is. They know that they're struggling and they're asking for help we can help this person they're open to accepting this help because they want to be a better person they want to be a better parent and it's so important that people understand that just because you know you're struggling doesn't mean you're a bad parent that your your children are not going to get taken away because you're having a hard time you know everybody struggles and 
it is perfectly fine to ask for help. I mean, I was so relieved when I asked because I went to see my GP and I was a bit, I was scared, I can't lie. I was shitting myself because I thought, oh my God, this guy is going to think I'm a psycho. He's going to think I can't look after my kid. He's going to think all these things. He's going to think my family are crazy because everybody just dies all the time. Like, what the fuck is going on? And I walked in and I said to him, you know, this is a completely different kind of visit for me because I normally come for a quick, oh, I've got this. Can I have some antibiotics or can I have my contraceptive pill? That's that's the only time you see me. But it's different for me today. I said, you know, I'm really struggling. I can't live like this anymore. Like, I am actually going insane. I need some help. And he was so good. Like, I literally cannot even explain how at ease he put me. Um, and he said, you know what, like, I'm your doctor, I hear a lot of things, yeah, but this is crazy, you would, you would be completely made of stone if you weren't struggling right now, it's completely normal to struggle, and, like, people struggle over other things, financial problems, problems at work, you know, arguments within families, breakups, that kind of stuff, you have dealt with trauma after trauma after trauma. How can you not struggle? You need help. And to be honest, a lot of the things that you've dealt with, they were to the extreme as well. And they were all in quick succession. This isn't, it's, yeah. it's hard enough to lose one person in a normal mm. circumstance, but in the mm. circumstances that you've had to, had to deal with these things and, and, you know, all of the things that have happened so quickly in such quick succession. I mean, yeah you were going through was obviously natural and hellish oh it was it was horrific it was like literally how I would imagine walking through hell (laughs) and you know I I sat there with my doctor and I cried and my kid was in the buggy and I was thinking oh my god he's gonna start crying because he can see me and I'm getting distressed and oh he was fine he was sitting in the buggy he was laughing away (laughs) like and, and chattering you know and like you know trying to get the doctor to pay attention to him kind of thing he was great and you know he said to me listen I can sit here and see that you don't need to be medicated I don't really want to medicate you I want you to go for some talking therapy you know like explain like get to the root of this trauma and just kill it like you know and I think that we can do that with some therapy and stuff and I said you know what I'm open to it whatever you think is right for me I'm just happy to go along with it, to be honest, because I don't want to feel like this anymore. And he says to me, you know, there's a there's quite a long wait. Like the wait for therapy here is between eight and ten months. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to survive another eight to ten months like this? What am I going to do? I need to do something. And I don't know how I did it. To be honest, I think it was my son. I honestly do think it was him because, you know, just because you're going through a hard time doesn't mean that parenthood stops, you know? Like, you still have to do everything that you normally do. Your kids have to be fed. They have to be bathed. They have to be clothed. They have to be entertained. You still have to continue being a mum, you know? And I think that's what kept me going during that time. And, you know, I kind of just threw everything at being a mum because I didn't know what else to do. I was like, nothing else is helping me right now. Maybe if I just focus fully on how I can be the best possible parent to him right now, even though I'm suffering, I'm just going to do that. And I did that and I tried like a few other things, like silly things where it might seem silly, but I went and bought colouring books, you know, like colouring books. And I'll sit in the evening and do colouring books and then look afterwards and think, oh, that's actually quite nice, like what I've made there. I actually feel quite impressed with what I've done. Um, lines. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, cooking. Like, instead of actually sitting there and sticking my face in a whole cake, I would think, what can I make that is going to make me feel good? you know what what food can I eat that's going to make me feel good and not guilty after I've eaten it you know and I was trying to sort that out and you know I need to be doing more exercise what can I do like I need to force myself to go for a walk I need to put my kid in the buggy or you know take him even outside I don't have a garden but like I've got a little bit of space out the front 
take him out there, kick a ball about, you know, take get a bike or whatever, you know. And it was just little little bits until it was time for therapy. And in the end, I had my therapy in. It started in April 2020, mm-hmm. and I had the most lovely therapist ever. She was great. I mean. I don't know how they do it, you know, these therapists. I don't know how they do it because I imagine them sitting there, you know, just absorbing people's trauma like day after day. And yeah, they get paid, but it doesn't put anything back in their brain to say, oh, you know, this is how I'm going to stop myself from absorbing this trauma, you know. And she she was great. I mean, she she really, I felt like she really understood. I felt like she really cared, you know. I, I had CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. I had that. And then after a while, she says to me, listen, I, I think that it's working for you. But I think that you're going to need a bit of something else to try and break through this trauma, you know. And so we're going to try some EMDR. And EMDR, I believe, stands for Eye Movement desensitization and reprogramming that's what EMDR stands for yeah I believe (laughs) it's a a long one it's hard to remember but yeah so we did that and you know it's kind of like I don't know if anyone's had tap-in therapy before but it's, it's kind of like that so like you're entering into your most traumatic times and you're tapping along at the same time and you're trying to desensitize yourself from that trauma, you know, and it worked for me. I felt like it did work for me. And I, I feel very lucky that it worked for me um, because I do know people that have had traumatic times and they've had therapy over and over again. It's about finding the right type of therapy as well. hundred percent. is important. Yeah. And I think as well, a lot of it comes down to being open to it you know because a lot of people are traumatized and maybe think nothing's going to work for me but if you're open to it and you just say all right do you know what there's a possibility that it might not work but there's also a possibility that it might so let's just go and have a go and see what it's like I mean it's it's very tiring it's exhausting therapy I can't even I wasn't prepared for how exhausting it is I was having therapy over the phone because of obviously COVID happening so I couldn't see my therapist face to face but I was having video calls sometimes with her when we was doing EMDR when we was having CBT it was just over the phone and I was talking to her and you know I was thinking oh is this is this working is this right am I processing things properly is this going to make me better do I think that you know I need to be medicated as well do I do I I don't know but I just wanted to go in and just give it a go and just see what happened I learned some crazy things as well like I learned some really cool things from therapy and like my <laughs> I was having panic attacks at one point like a lot a lot of panic attacks and the craziest thing is I was having panic attacks in the supermarket so I was going to the supermarket thinking yep and I would take one step in the supermarket and start walking down the aisle and I would just break out into panic mode straight away so I was having like shakes I was sweating I was feeling sick everything was spinning I was like oh my god everyone's gonna look at me like I'm crazy what am I gonna do and I said to her you know these panic attacks I think that's what's stopping me from going out because I'm so scared of having a panic attack and she says to me okay well what you need to try is get a little tissue or something spray some perfume on it or something that smells nice and whenever you feel like you're gonna panic just smell the perfume remember where you are remember that you're here in the here and now nothing's gonna happen to you and it will pass and I was like yeah all right bollocks I was thinking what a load of shit like, I can't even lie I was like yeah what a load of fucking shit that is that gonna work and it did and I was so shocked I was like oh my god this is amazing why didn't I think of this before it's just those simple distraction techniques that just bring you back to yourself yeah there's a lot of stigma around mental health and struggling in general people don't want to be seen to be struggling and I get it I get it. I'm, I have that background. I'm from that background where it's like, you know, you've got to have the stiff upper lip and just get on with it. Don't dwell on things. But, you know, when you're really struggling, that narrative doesn't help. It's kind of like, you know, 
oh well you must be weak if you're struggling you know you can't just pick up and carry on what's wrong with you and it's not that there's anything wrong with you at all it's just that you are processing and that is normal we're talking more there's more in the media like I'm just going to pull out Caroline Flack for just one moment and you know her story really made me sad I can't lie it really made me sad because I thought this woman is so beautiful she's on telly she's so like this massive character she's always smiling she's always laughing you would not expect it from her and you know it was recently a year since she's passed away and obviously the articles come up from newspapers and you know posts come up and I sometimes like have a look at the comments and I can't lie the comments absolutely disgust me sometimes they really do disgust me because there's people in those comments who clearly don't have any idea what it's like to lose someone let alone lose someone to a suicide it is horrific there is no like explanation I can't sit here and say it feels like this 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 and then that's it it doesn't work like that and her family and her friends reading these comments must be distraught I can't even imagine how they feel when they're reading these comments because even when I lost my brother towards the end of his life as I said he changed quite a bit he was saying some wild things um you know and his some of his friends were kind of like oh well you know none of his family were really there for him like they didn't really they weren't really interested in what was going on in his life they didn't accept his girlfriend like loads of these rumors started coming out and I was like well like that hurts that really hurts like to hear things like that about my brother who's just died in the most traumatic way ever and I thought wow do you know like that hurts me so I can't imagine what it's like on a massive scale when it's a celebrity who who dies that way and everyone's sticking in their two pence and saying you know this this is what I think about it and oh well just don't just just leave it like you've got nothing nice to say just don't say anything it must be horrific for a family and and a lot of families who have um, had high profile people pass away like that it must be horrible and I really do feel for them. So for anyone who is looking to reach out for help, have you got any sort of advice that you can put out there? Anyone Um, going through anything similar, even if it's not dealing with with loss or suicide, but maybe, hmm. you know, struggling as a mum and needing needing help? Have you got any any advice that you can give people? There's no shame in taking it. You know, I was embarrassed and it turned out that all of that shame that I felt was for no reason. It was for literally no reason. I I went through and did my therapy and I've never felt better since since I had it, you know. Like and even this morning I was walking my child to nursery and I was thinking, do you know what? Today is just a great day. Don't ask me why it's a great day, but it is. The sun's out, I'm walking, I'm breathing in fresh air, I'm happy today, I feel great. And you know, greater times come. I mean, for me, I felt like at one point I was in just a black hole. I weren't going to come out of the black hole. I was going to be stuck in there forever and nothing was going to help me. I felt like I was beyond help, but better days come, you know, and if you, if you can hold on, please do, please hold on because it's devastating if you can't, it is so devastating. And yeah, if, if you feel like you need professional help, you know, go and take it. It's there. It's great. Um, anything else? Do I have anything else? um I don't know do you know I have to say one thing back to the suicide thing again I want to I want to talk a little bit about blame because you know you can feel like you're to blame if somebody takes their life or you can feel like you're somehow complicit or responsible for something that's happened and it it's hard for me to even say it but it's true it can never be your fault it can never be your fault I mean my I don't really like to talk about it too much because you know a lot's happened but my brother's girlfriend who he was with at the time you know she felt very responsible for what happened to my brother she felt like it was her fault she felt like if she had just you know given him another chance or whatever then he would still be here she felt like that and me and my family kind of just 
put an arm around her and was just like, hey, do you know what? This isn't your fault. There's nothing you could have done to stop this situation from happening. Don't blame yourself for it, you know? Like, it's not on you. You're not a murderer. You haven't killed anybody. This has happened. This was a choice that wasn't yours to make. So how can it possibly be your fault? And, you know, it was easy for me to give her that that peace of mind. It was easy for me to say that to her. It was easy for my family to put the arm around her and say, hey, do you know what? This is not on you. But I couldn't take that in myself. I needed somebody to tell me that. And that's why I went to therapy. And therapy told me that and told me, you know, you need to stop blaming yourself because it's not you. You know, you, you haven't put a gun to anybody's head. And, you know, it's not, it feels in a way that it sounds like avoiding all responsibility, but it's really not because you know that you did everything that you could, everything that you thought that was right when that person was alive and that person was here. You never expect in your wildest dreams that something so mad is going to happen. So how can you possibly be to blame? And you can't control someone else's actions. That's the bottom line. Exactly. You can't be with someone 24-7 and you can't control what someone else does. As great as it would exactly. be if we could, you know, it's yeah, exactly. realistic. Well, thank you so much, Carly, for coming on and joining me today. I literally i am giving you the biggest virtual hug right now. <laughs> that's that's literally how I feel. I just want to give you the biggest virtual hug. But thank you, thank you for sharing your story with us. You're a strong, strong girl. You're an incredible <laughs> girl. All you've been through, and for anyone who is looking to find Carly, obviously, as always, I'll put all of the the notes in in the show's bio and and on Instagram. But it's honestly dot I'm dot okay. Yeah. Um, and you can reach out to Carly, even even if you're not struggling in any way, shape or form, just reach out to her because she's fabulous and funny. And she puts really, really <laughs> great you. stories up that will just make you laugh. <laughs> so she's guaranteed to cheer your day up. But, um, but no, thank you, honestly, Carly, from the bottom of my Thank heart. you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to today's show, guys. And if you enjoyed the episode, then don't forget to get subscribing. Also, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, if you could hop on and leave a star rating and a review, then that would be absolutely awesome. If you want to connect with Carly, then Carly will be tagged on the Grown Up Hustle Podcasts Instagram account. I'll also be sharing the details for several different organizations that can help with grief and loss management and men's mental health. All of these will be listed on the Instagram account and on the show's bio notes for anyone who would like to access them. On next week's show, I'm going to be joined by Natasha Sattler, author of the book Shit Adults Never Taught Us, as we discuss the launch of this absolutely brilliant adulting life manual and we have our own conversation about all the adulting shit that we were never taught. I hope you guys all have an absolutely awesome week and I'll catch you all soon. 